Hello and welcome to the Lancet podcast. Richard Lane here on Friday, April the 2nd. My name is Linda Luxon and I'm Professor of Audio Vestibular Medicine at University College London Ear Institute. One of the authors of a seminar in this week's issue about sudden sensory neural hearing loss, our feature this week. But just before that, a few highlights from the issue, which is dated April 3rd to the 9th. Unsurprisingly, quite a lot of coverage about the US healthcare bill passed recently. Look out for the long editorial and also the World Report section this week. In research, we have articles all previously published online about treatment for endometrial cancer, also about renal outcomes for people with hypertension at high risk of cardiovascular disease, and two studies concerning birth outcomes. This is looking at the role of communities in maternal and neonatal health in less developed settings. One article from India and another from Bangladesh. And we have a new drugs class review concerning the treatment of atrial fibrillation. But let's return to the seminar about sudden sensory neural hearing loss, a very poorly understood condition. Earlier, I spoke to Professor Linda Luxon, Professor of Audio Vestibular Medicine at University College London here in the United Kingdom. Hearing loss is the most common sensory impairment worldwide, and in the UK, about 17% of the adult population are affected with hearing impairment, and three quarters of those are over the age of 60. Sudden sensory neural hearing loss is uh, much less common and uh, is defined as being a hearing loss of at least 30 decibels in three sequential frequencies on the standard pure tone audiogram, which develops over three days or less. There's no really good epidemiological data to define the prevalence of this type of hearing impairment, but it's suggested that between 5 and 30 cases per 100,000 population per year present. So those are the sorts of statistics that I hope put this condition in context. What do we know about underlying pathology and possible causes? In most cases, it's the cochlea that is the site of pathology, but the precise cause is is rarely identified, although several pathophysiological mechanisms have been proposed. Perhaps the commonest suggested are infectious causes, and certainly seroconversion with mumps virus, rubella, varicella zoster, cytomegalovirus, Epstein-Barr virus, enterovirus, and the herpes simplex viruses have all been documented although the studies show very contradictory results and each of these different viruses in some studies have been suggested to be most prevalent, whereas in other studies they've been shown not to be present at all. So although viral causes are commonly thought to be a common reason for sudden sensory neural hearing loss, that certainly isn't definite and serological, epidemiological and histopathological data aren't conclusive. How has clinical research informed us, particularly with a view to, to how this type of hearing loss might be treated? Well, in terms of treatment, I think I've mentioned the infectious causes. Another major group of the vascular causes that are thought to be related to sudden sensory neural hearing loss. And then there's a whole range of miscellaneous causes such as Meniere's disease, autoimmune and ear disease, trauma, iatrogenic causes of drugs and anesthesia, neoplasia is another group. So I would say that there's no really big research studies that have clearly defined the cause of sudden sensory neural hearing loss and it's an area that's hugely open for research. You're basically proposing um, quite a a pragmatic approach for clinicians to presumably to to have heightened awareness about the possibility of this type of hearing loss presenting itself. Yes, I think that's right. I mean, when you see a case presenting uh, with sudden hearing loss, the very first thing that must be done is to identify whether it is conductive, i.e., 
there is some abnormality in the external ear or the middle ear preventing the transmission of sound waves into the internal ear because that's a very common mistake. Uh, patients are seen, uh, they often have viral infections if we're suggesting that they've got a viral etiology and the local practitioner may suggest that this is merely a blocked middle ear, for instance. That's a very common error. So the most important thing to do is to do proper audiometric testing to define the cases that are sensory neural, i.e. arising in the internal ear. Because we think that many of these cases are due to an inflammatory reaction, either from a viral or an ischemic episode, corticosteroids have been widely used, although the evidence to support the oral administration of corticosteroids is, is actually quite weak. And certainly a Cochrane database systematic review concluded that there are only low-quality conflicting data for the benefit of such treatments. More recently, there's been some work on intratympanic dexamethasone uh, infusion. But again, a multicenter randomized placebo-controlled trial um, showed that a combination therapy of oral and intratympanic dexamethasone had a higher likelihood of hearing recovery, although the uh, a statistical significant result was not established. Uh, certainly, there's a Cochrane database systematic review currently in progress to try and define whether intratympanic dexamethasone is helpful. So steroids are one strategy that's been employed. In cases where there's thought to be a vascular etiology, a range of different um, therapies have been employed, such as hyperbaric oxygen therapy, uh, vasoactive therapies, but none of these, again, have been shown in systematic reviews to be uh, definitively effective. So, uh, regrettably, one has to say there is no good evidence as to how we should treat these patients, and it's for that reason that we've proposed the pragmatic approach outlined in the article. Which is to use corticosteroids? Yes, which in the first instance is to use corticosteroids because while there is no definitive evidence, many of the case reports and the studies that are available suggest that significance in terms of therapeutic effect is almost reached and therefore it seems appropriate in the absence of a good study to treat these patients with steroids. And in terms of how that might relate to a health system, if you, if you take the UK uh, health system, yeah. for example, obviously uh, primary care is crucial in terms of possibly being the first point of contact for the yeah. patient. So how, how would it work in terms of making the diagnosis from primary care onwards? I think the most important thing at the primary care level is to obtain a simple basic audiogram. Uh, many general practices themselves now have audiometric equipment and can do that. Uh, you obviously do need somebody who understands how to do an audiogram and how to interpret it because the most important thing, as I said a moment ago, is to actually differentiate a conductive hearing loss due to wax or a cold or simple problems like that from a sensory neural loss. So that's the very first thing to do. If you think you've got a sensory neural loss, then that patient needs to be fast-tracked into uh, a specialist ENT department or audio-vestibular medicine department for appropriate treatment with oral steroids. I, I think it would, certainly a general practitioner could try this if he, if he can't access a specialist quickly, but I think loss of hearing in one ear is significant and, and 30 or 40% of these people won't get better. So it is important to try and save hearing if one can albeit we don't know that oral steroids are the, uh, are the definitive treatment. Indeed, that was my next question, actually. Is it up to 50% or certainly 30-40% of people who have sudden sensory neural hearing loss will not get that 
hearing back. Yes. And as you also say, this is nearly always unilaterally, isn't it? It is, yes. There are some cases of bilateral sudden sensory neurohearing loss, but they're extremely rare. It's usually unilateral. What would be the priority for those patients who don't get their hearing back after two weeks? There are some case reports of patients benefiting from steroids up to two months after treatment. So if, for example, the patient presents late, it may be worth trying steroids after two weeks, although I think it would be fair to say that the evidence is is very weak. If the hearing does not recover, obviously one still has to try and identify the cause in case it's something like an acoustic neuroma that one has to do something about or due to something like Kogan's syndrome again, which one has to treat in its own right. And one should always try and make a diagnosis. And obviously, primary treatment must include management of these unusual but well-established causations of sudden sensory neural hearing loss. If one does not find a cause, then one is really in the position of having to consider um, the treatment that for sudden hearing loss of any cause, i.e. amplification, you can provide such devices as cross-hearing aids, which allow sounds on one side of the head to be picked up and transferred across to the remaining good ear so that patients can still function. Many patients, of course, won't want such interventions and will prefer to just learn to live hearing with one ear. In terms of the future, certainly in terms of research priorities, because as you say in the seminar and as you've said today, there is regrettably very little concrete research, isn't there, that's informing clinical judgment on this issue. So what would be the research priorities? Well, I think they're numerous in all honesty. I mean, I think histopathological studies so that we can try and better understand uh, exactly what is causing sudden sensory neural hearing loss. We need to pursue the genetic studies that have allowed us to identify mutations that can predispose to sudden sensory neural hearing loss, for example, from a toxic drug. We need longitudinal epidemiological studies to look at vascular risk factors. Do they or do they not predispose to sudden sensory neural hearing loss? And is there anything we can do to prevent vascular events if indeed that is a, an important factor? We need to look further at pharmacological studies to promote hair cell recovery so that whatever has caused the loss of function in the cochlea can perhaps be limited or, or reversed, uh, for example, with treatment uh, using antioxidants. We need to look at hair cell regeneration, which is a very topical research um, area in, um, in our ear biology at the moment, and look at the pharmacology that may promote hair cell regeneration. And of course, further down the line, we need to look at stem cell research for when we have lost our inner ear, is there any possibility that um, in the future we might be able to regenerate cells uh, in that way. So there are a whole raft of different studies, in all honesty, in terms of research, because we are so limited both in our understanding of what causes this condition and in terms of good evidence for what we can do to treat it. Well, that's why it's been such a pleasure talking to you about such an important, but as you say, such a a relatively poorly understood uh, area of medicine. So Linda Luxon, one of the authors of the seminar this week on sudden sensory neural hearing loss, mainly thanks indeed for talking to The Lancet. Thank you very much. Well, that's all for this week. Thanks for listening. See you next time.